Amen. Good morning, everyone. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word today from the book of 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 14. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Father God, may you honor the reading of your word today with hearing, with understanding. Lord, I pray for faith and for confirmation. Lord, for those of us who are gathered here today in these moments, in this place, I pray for the work of your spirit to move mightily within each of us, no matter where we may be in terms of belief and in terms of obedience. I pray that because of our time in your word, our time in worship, and through the work of your spirit, we will be drawn ever closer to you, whether it's inch by inch or perhaps mile by mile. Lord, I pray for those of us who are struggling with disbelief, or perhaps we're not struggling with disbelief at all. We're just simply proud because we are resisting your call in our lives. I pray for brokenness. I pray for all, the, all the, the arguments of resistance just to be shattered and taken away as your love, as your veracity, your truth is presented. Lord, for those of us burdened by our doubts, because, well, life can be difficult. There are so many things that can distract us and dissuade us from belief in you, Lord. I pray for those of us with doubt, I pray for words of assurance and conviction Not the conviction of sin, but the conviction of assurance and truth. Lord, for those of us who are just struggling because of some discouragement in this world, we hear the news, we read the news, we see with our own eyes the things that are going on, Lord. And we cry out, how much longer? Well, we echo the cry of your people from the beginning of time as you have waited patiently to do your work in the world. Lord, I pray that we will see that and our discouragement will be replaced with excitement and fervor and zeal for your work and the opportunity before us to represent you more clearly and more devotedly than ever before. Lord, in all things, I just ask for you to be glorified as your spirit works. For those who are joining with us online, I pray these very same things, Lord, even if it's now that they're watching or even at a later date, already ordained by you, Lord, you know every soul, you know every life, I pray that you speak and that whatever barriers in their minds and the walls of their hearts will just be taken away and they will avail themselves to your word. 
As always, Lord God, I ask for my words not to get in the way of your word, especially today, <laughs> but for you to bring glory to yourself as, your, as Jesus is lifted up, and it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, your Son, O oh Father God, we pray, amen. Would you please be seated? Before we get into the message, I wanted to give just uh, one very special update and a uh, congregational thanks to the Lord for something that's really good that He has done among us. And that is today is the one year anniversary of Matthew Simon's uh, total uh, liver and kidneys transplant at Stanford University. And. Uh, Matthew and his wife Cindy have, have worshiped with us regularly. Matthew's recovery was actually off the charts. Um, every, every marker he had for when he was supposed to meet certain things, he beat. Uh, he, was re, uh, he was returned home very quickly, returned to worship uh, with us as well. And we're just uh, thankful to God and excited for Matthew for this, the health that he has, that the Lord has blessed him with. So congratulations, Matthew, and thank you, Lord God, for that work. God is at work in the world. We know that he is at work in the world because there are so many stinking churches in the world, right? Some cities have a church on every corner. Some cities maybe not so much, but there's a lot of churches. And it always breads the question, why are there so many churches? If God is one, which we read in Scripture, why isn't there just one church? Well, honestly, that's a hard conversation, and we don't really have time for that today. But I have a take on it that I think will hopefully help bring at least a little bit of light to that. As we're talking about the church and churches and things like that, it's important to remember that there is the church, capital C, then there are little churches, small c. And that's what we're looking at today, especially as the church is the witness of God in this world. It's so important to remember that the church, capital C, when we're talking about that, we're not talking about a building. We're not talking about a place, a building with a specific name. We're not even talking about a certain type of group that align themselves with the Lord. We're not talking about a program. We're not talking about an activity, a social club, a social services agency, or even a political voting block. The church something that transcends all of those things. The biblical word translated church is the word ecclesia, which simply means assembly. When Jesus pronounced that he would build his church, he was saying, I will build my assembly, my gathering, my association of people. It was used for public meetings, for civic announcements. It was used for political rallies and political announcements as well. When Jesus used this word, he was very intentionally using the word to show that he was setting up an alternate, an alternative political reality. Not another nation, but a kingdom. A kingdom that would not be localized, a kingdom that would not have territory and boundaries, but instead would include all territory and be boundless, the kingdom of God, which would transcend all of those so such insignificant divisions and boundaries and limitations. The word assembly, that word ecclesia, it combines two words, ek, 
to, 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 to from or out of, kaleo, to call. It is to call together. Therefore, the literal meaning of the word is the called out or the called together ones. Jesus will call out his people from the world, from darkness, from sin, from the kingdoms of this earth. He will call them out of that into light and life and love in his kingdom. The church the, the, the assembly of God's people are those that Jesus calls, the called out ones. The called are those that God draws to himself through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But God calls people into relationship with himself through Jesus. Therefore, the church is the people who belong to God through saving faith, which is belief plus trust in Jesus. And belief plus trust is so important because sometimes in the West, and especially the Americanized or the Westernized church, we think of faith as just simply believing the right things about Jesus. If we answer a survey about we believe Jesus is God's son or we believe Jesus is God, if we answer correctly, then we're saved because we believe the right propositional truth and we can make faith very, very intellectual and very compartmentalized in our lives is it's just something we believe the right propositional truths. But that's not saving faith. Saving faith is believing those things plus trusting Jesus. If we are trusting Jesus to take us into eternity because we believe the right things, we also need to trust Jesus to lead our lives Monday through Saturday in our families, in our homes, on the roadways, at the workplace, at the gym, at the grocery store, even at Costco, where the presence of God is you know, maybe not seen by many people or felt by many people. But it's belief and trust. When we believe the right things about you, we believe that he's God's son who died for our sins on the cross and then he rose from the dead. But then we're trusting him day by day, moment by moment, enough that our lives are transformed by those two beliefs. Belief in the crucifixion and the resurrection. That's saving faith. And when we have saving faith, yes, we go through a very, a very tangible, identifiable marker, baptism. We are baptized into Christ. But as we are lowered into the water and we come up out of the water, we dry off. We change back into our normal, normal clothes. There is no permanent marking that we are now in a saving faith relationship. Yes, we're called out of darkness into light, out of death into life, and all of these things, but there's no permanent marker on us. That if we walk by somebody at Costco or at Vons or somewhere else, they say, oh, whoa, there's one of those Christians. Stay away. There's no visibly mark, there's no visible marker for that. Because the church. Those who belong to God, God's people, through faith in Jesus, are marked internally, the Holy Spirit. And therefore, the church 
is a spiritually defined and connected entity. As I said, the church is not a building. It's not a program. It's not an activity. The church doesn't have just one specific name that it goes by in society. Among us today is the church, those people who belong to God through saving faith in Jesus. And also among us today are most likely some who are not yet there because they haven't believed and they haven't trusted Christ yet. In many of the other congregations around town, the ones that believe the Bible and are focused on Jesus, in those gatherings similar to ours today, the church is there because there are those who will have saving faith in Jesus and they will be there also with people who do not yet have saving faith in Jesus. So the church transcends buildings and names, spiritually connected, spiritually defined. But the church, capital C, is expressed through churches, little c, congregations. The work of these congregations, even with the various names and even with some various beliefs, those that are centered on Jesus, those that are founded and have allegiance to the Word of God and its authoritativeness, it is these churches that are the tangible, visible expression of the body of Christ in the world. Continuing the earthly ministry of Jesus. That's what we looked at last week. That's what the work of the church is, is to continue the ministry of Jesus. Matthew 4.23 records that Jesus came preaching, teaching, and healing. That's the work churches are to do. Continue to preach, continue to teach, and continue to heal through the power of that Holy Spirit who lives within all those who believe and are saved. Now, this next point, this is tough. And honestly, I'm probably going to mess it up. So extend a little bit of grace if I don't get it exactly right. The notes are sparse, so I have a lot of fill in in my notes. But hang with me. If you have a question, talk to me after the service or email me. My email address is on the bottom of the notes. The church is are to continue the work of Jesus. Now, the work of Jesus is to bring about a testimony that Jesus is real in the world. But in our mindset, we have the idea that seeing is believing. That's one of our kind of our, our, our life mantras or, or one of those things that we just take as colloquial wisdom. Seeing is believing. If we're going to believe something, we have to see it with our own eyes. But the reality is that almost everything we truly believe about the world comes from indirect sources. Things we don't actually see or hear or touch or smell or taste or experience ourselves. Most of what we believe comes from the evidences and the experiences and the testimonies of others. You see, most of our knowledge comes from indirect sources. We constantly have to decide whom to trust. Those that the knowledge discovered by others, that's passed on to us through writing and through stories, through research, things like that. We have to constantly decide whom to trust, to, to, to whose testimony 
is valid. And that's, that's, that's how we accumulate our beliefs about the world. We, we, we filter different truth claims. And we have to decide who is worthy of being listened to. Who is worthy of our trust. So we have to constantly decide. Now, biblically, we learn that faith comes not from sight, but from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The presence and the work of the church through churches in the world testifies to the reality of Jesus. Jesus being Lord over all. The transformative power of the indwelling Holy Spirit whom when he dwells within us changes our character, our demeanor, our drives, our desires, the transformative power of the Holy Spirit living within us. And the church witnesses to the, the transforming benefits, the, the personal and the societal benefits of living out the teachings of Jesus. Therefore, evangelism is the invitation to trust the eyewitness testimony upon which Christianity is based. Evangelism is the invitation to trust, to, to embrace it, to believe it personally, and then also to experience it. Because the Christian faith is something that is true and it's verifiable and it's attested by eyewitnesses, but it is also something that is living and real. It is not stayed, it is not academic, it is not locked up in a book 2,000 years old. The Spirit of God lives within us, so therefore the Christian faith is dynamic. It is present, it is powerful. The word testify means to speak about that which one has direct knowledge. You see, our indirect knowledge of Jesus coming from the stories, the testimonies, the writings of others, does become direct knowledge through the faith and the experience of his love confirmed by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. In our text this morning from, from the, the, the book of 1 John, John is, and I'm going to be done with this in just a couple of moments, the book of 1 John is an, is an incredible small, it's, it's a book, small, but it's incredible in its message and its meaning and its power in the life of the church and the life that has continued for 2,000 years of encouraging Christians. John is writing as one who has actually seen Jesus and talked to Jesus both before and after his crucifixion and resurrection. John is passing on his knowledge. John is testifying to his direct knowledge to a group of people who have indirect experience with Jesus. John writes, no one has ever seen God. So, so the whole seeing is believing can't work in this situation. No one has seen God. But if we love one another, which is the key to everything because naturally, natural affinity with the world does not make one loving. 
natural affinity with the world, you know, evolutionary theory and, and basic biology and the social structures, both, both advanced and, 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 and not so advanced. The, the, the basics for, for all of these structures is distrust and struggle and fighting. Love is not naturally found in the world order. So, Paul, uh, John says, so if no one, has, no one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. We accept the testimony of the apostles. We avail ourselves to, to the truth that they purport. And then as we avail ourselves, that truth comes to live within us directly through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are transformed. We experience the presence of God, the power of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God within us. This is how Christianity stands apart from every other belief system in the world. The church is the witness of an historical event. In stark contrast to nearly all other religions and belief systems, all of them prior to Christianity, uh, by the way, with exception of Judaism, in stark contrast to nearly all other religions and belief systems, Christianity is not based upon a mythical story a metaphysical concept, a philosophical idea, or an esoteric experience. Instead, Christianity is based upon a series of historical events. The life of a man known as Jesus of Nazareth. The death of the man known as Jesus of Nazareth. And then, unbelievably so, the resurrection of that Jesus of Nazareth back to life, thereby vindicating everything he said, everything he taught about himself, about the world, about, uh, about our, the, the, the hum, of human nature, and about uh, God and everything else. That vindicated the teachings of Jesus, rising from the dead. And that is an historical fact. The Christian faith, therefore, is rooted in verifiable historical reality. But as with all acts of history, we have two choices. We choose to believe the testimony of those, the historical records because we can doubt anything and everything that has ever happened. But there is statement upon statement, evidence upon evidence, reason upon reason, argument upon argument that Jesus was known, was seen, was killed, and then was seen and heard and touched being alive again after he died. As unbelievable as that may be, as incredible, as, as, as almost too good to be true, 
But by every measurement of historicity, the resurrection is a historical fact. Now, the question comes, do we believe the eyewitness testimony? And if we do believe it, so what? History and even the modern world is replete with weird stuff we can't explain, right? And it's popular. That's why there's all those weird paranormal psychology shows that that people like so much, right? Because the world is full of weird stuff. And so maybe just this weird, fluky thing happened 2,000 years ago where this man named Jesus just somehow managed to to conquer death or figure out the the secret to, to beating death. And maybe it's just some weird anomaly of history. And we can choose to believe that and we dismiss it. Or we can choose to accept the eyewitness testimony that, yes, this Jesus who was killed was seen alive, and then it vindicates everything he says. And so everything he says is worth my allegiance. It's worth taking to heart. It's worth reorienting my life. It's worth reforming my character. It's worth changing my beliefs and my presuppositions and my prejudices. It's worth it. That's the reality. And that's what separates Christianity from so many other more ancient belief systems. It's rooted in a historical fact. Jesus entrusted his apostles to be his witnesses to the world. Jesus even pronounced a special blessing upon those who would believe their testimony even though they never personally saw him right before commissioning his disciples to go into all the world, Jesus said this. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Key insight, every book of the Hebrew scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament, every book, the law, the wisdom, the prophets, the histories, all include and point to the Messiah as Jesus. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. The apostles were the witnesses of what Jesus said and did. And then they passed that on to others. The entire gospel, all of the good news of Jesus, is built upon the actuality of Jesus' resurrection and the veracity of the apostles' eyewitness testimony. The apostle Paul, the last of the apostles to become an apostle, says that if the resurrection is not real, if Jesus really did not rise from the dead, because people back then had just as much difficulty believing it as we do today, because people, we don't experience that. Science says dead people don't come back to life. No matter how many times authors and screenwriters like to use that as a plot in movies and books, it doesn't happen in real life. But the Apostle Paul says, if the resurrection is not real, all of the Christian faith and all of Christian practice is not only worthless, it is pitiful. Those are strong words. 
But Paul also says, thanks be to God because Jesus rose from the dead. (laughs) We know this because that's what the apostles continued to testify to in the face of overwhelming opposition. The very first message about Jesus being the Messiah was preached in the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus rising from the dead, as was, as was said of the Messiah, was the capstone of Peter's biblical arguments for Jesus being the Messiah. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. The apostles steadfastly refused to deny the reality of what they saw and experienced with the resurrected Jesus even when threatened and beaten. They were interrogated. They were imprisoned. They were threatened. Yes, they were beaten. And they still, they went on their way rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. The threats did not scare them or dissuade them. About 30 years after the resurrection, the apostle Peter, with his own execution looming soon, reaffirmed the authenticity of what he saw and heard from Jesus. He writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter died confessing Jesus as Savior and Lord on his lips. Even later, from the book we read from today, the epistle of 1 John, about 60 years after the resurrection, the last living apostle John wrote to an entire generation, an entire group of churches made up exclusively at least we assume, of people who did not see and hear Jesus during his ministry, who were not there in Jerusalem when Jesus rose from the dead. The gospel had grown. The gospel had and penetrated various, um, all areas of, of the Roman Empire. And John is writing to a group of churches, Christians, who believed in Jesus because of the testimony of the apostles and other evangelists. And John is writing to this, this, this association of churches where none of them had ever seen or heard Jesus. But John is assuring them that he had seen Jesus. He had heard Jesus. He had touched Jesus even after Jesus rose from the dead. And he said, it's true. All of it is true. And it is too good to believe. But it, believe it. That which was from the beginning... That which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and touched with our hands, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that also you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Because those believers were engrafted into the family and their faith was just as real and just as powerful as that of the apostles. That's the the, the reciprocal nature of faith. We believe, we receive, we pass on. The title for today is The Church as Witness. The church witnesses to the reality of God, 
the nature of God is love, the, the reality of God's kingdom, the, the power of God in transforming lives. Churches are to continue to testify to these realities through, through preaching, teaching, and healing, doing the work of Jesus. So what about us as a church, little c? One small spot, not only in the kingdom of God, but just here in the five cities. What is Oak Park's responsibility to continue the witness, to continue testifying to these things about Jesus? Well, the gospel has been faithfully proclaimed for 2,000 years. It has been advanced. Today there are believers upon every continent, in every racial group, and the church all around the world, with the exception of Western Europe and North America, the church is growing. More and more people are receiving and believing the testimony and believing in Jesus and trusting their lives to Jesus. As Oak Park Christian Church, we will continue to preach the gospel. We will continue to make and teach disciples and we will continue to bring healing through hope, compassionate care, and practical assistance. Because along these lines, what's the old saying? People don't care what you know until they know how much you care. And so in, in, a, in an event like this or, or an emphasis like this is what is called, I'm on, is called pre-evangelism. It's sowing seeds, it's laying the groundwork to help, hopefully, give people hope and to intrigue them to look deeper for meaning in life and significance and help in life, which can ultimately only come from Jesus. So we have some resources on our website. We'll be having a video as well that will help point people to uh, you know, the real source of hope, who is Jesus. Um, and so we have some really exciting things that are gonna be happening with and everybody can participate. It's simply being light in a world of darkness, being, hope, being hopeful in a world with so much hopelessness. It's part of tilling the soil and sowing the seeds for evangelistic witness. Because they will create conversations. And as you were asked, it is, it is, it's almost a no-brainer to answer the response, what's up with this? Oh, well, it's because... My hope in Jesus has transformed the entire way that I live and look at life and everything else. So we're praying for some exciting things to happen with that. You see, the most effective testimony is truth, spoken from a foundation of righteousness and good works, seeking to do good in the community, to be light, to bring hope, all of those things. Because at the very end of the day, the greatest testifying we can do, the greatest witness that we can do is to love one another and love others with the love of Jesus for the love of Jesus. That's the evidence of God being real, of God being true, of God sending his Savior, his Son as Savior to the world. The way we are transformed to love just hours before his crucifixion, Jesus told his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
That's what we're called to do.